certain behaviors and lifestyles that are unacceptable in the church. Uh, in light of the fact, in light of the fact, in light of the fact that we are the light of the world, just, we are the light of the world, but the church is always under the spotlight. Uh, we are the light, but we are always under the spotlight. By design, the church is being watched. God designed the church to be watched. He said, let your light shine so that people might see you and glorify your father who is in heaven. And though we are imperfect and our imperfections are not imaginary, somebody say they're real. The church is expected to live a lifestyle of financial, sexual, matrimonial, judicial, social, individual, and organizational integrity. We cannot merely speak of character. We have to demonstrate character by how we live. Now, when I was a kid, and I always ask forgiveness because my pool and resource bank of illustrations is pretty dated. I'm sort of old school in my reference. But there used to be a group on the Motown label by the name of the Four Tops. And the four tops, for some of you remember, before Wiz Khalifa and Snoop Doggy Dog and all of these folks, uh, when you actually had lyrics that really did rhyme, you didn't force the rhyme, they really did rhyme. Uh, they used to sing a song by the uh, name, and it said, Sugar Pie Honey Bunch. You know that I love you. I can't help myself. I love you and nobody else. Dun, dun, dun. You know, nah. <laughs> well, I tell you what, that's, that's enough, Ashley. I tell you, well, Ashley, is something else. I can't, I can't, I can't help myself. I can't help myself. I can't help myself. And we go around singing that, singing that. But you know, here's the thing. Many of us in the church deal with sin just like that. Many of us have grown to the point where we've convinced ourselves that it is appropriate and acceptable to say about uh, the sin in our lives, the reason I did or do what I do is because I can't help myself. But God knows that that's not true. Yeah. Yeah. In other words, we cannot stand before God and say that I do what I do and I, or I did what I did because, God, I really could not help myself. We can't take the four tops version of how we address the, 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 the character flaws of our lives. And so while all of us, somebody say all of us, all of us fall short of the glory of God, but, when, but, but, but sins, listen, sins that are recognized, revealed, and repeated. Recognized, you know they're there. Revealed, other people see them. And repeated, you have done them more than once. They must be acknowledged, addressed, and abandoned. When a sin is recognized, revealed, and repeated, then it must be acknowledged, addressed and abandoned when it becomes known that we are not meeting the standard that the bible sets forth for us then we must be confronted now conf confrontation is for maintaining rather than severing relationships for your worksheets for your worksheets confrontation is for maintaining rather than severing the relationship most of us by the time we get up the courage to confront anybody we confront with the intention of cutting them off right then 
Amen. But conf confrontation is for maintaining the relationship. Verse 15 says, if your brother or sister sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. And if he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. The church ought not ignore poor behavior. According to the text, the onus is not on the pastor to address every behavioral issue. Y'all are quiet, but I'm, I know I'm right. The pastor should address what the pastor should address. But the text is saying if you see it, if you know it, if you've witnessed it, then you are called to be mature enough to address it. Addressing it should be done with concern for the person and not just with the concern for the organization. In other words, I ought not be so con more concerned about the church as an organization than I am about the person. Amen. You see, because if the person gets him or herself together, the church will be together. Am I right about that? And so addressing it should be done with concern for the person who has committed the infraction. If a person messes up, the Bible says, go to the person. Don't talk about the person. You don't have to say to anybody, do you know what I saw? Did you hear about? You don't have to post it on Facebook. You don't have to tweet anybody. If a person messes up, the Bible says, go to the person and approach them with the intention of changing behavior and maintaining the relationship. The goal is not to embarrass the person, but it is to embrace the person. And so the Bible gives us the steps of how we should do this. So it says if a person is, uh, is, is in sin or has committed a fault or has sinned against you, he says, speak to the person one-on-one. -on -one. That's the first step. Speak to the person one-on-one. -on -one. A one-on-one -on -one conversation is the best place to start. Approach it like this, brother to brother, sister to sister, servant to servant, leader to leader, parent to child, spouse to spouse, sibling to sibling, one-on-one. -on -one. The goal is to save the relationship. There's one thing I can tell you about sin. Sin hurts relationships. So don't you go as judge and jury ready to convict and sentence. Go um, with compassion and with a desire to learn and with a desire to help rather than to hurt. Now, the Bible tells us the first step is to go and one-on-one, -on -one, right? But one-on-one -on -one does not always work. Somebody say amen. It does not always work. Um, how many of you remember the Casey, Casey Anthony case? Remember that? Yeah, yeah. That's kind of current, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know. I don't know if Casey Anthony actually is guilty of killing her daughter. But I do know this. I knew. I knew before the trial what her confession was going to be. She was, I knew she was going to say, I didn't do it. But some of y'all remember back in 1992 in June, uh, O.J. Simpson was riding in South Cal Southern California in a Bronco interrupting the football game, basketball game. You remember that? Interrupted the basketball game. Uh, riding in a Bronco for about an hour and a half. I don't know whether O.J. had anything to do with the death of Nicole Brown. Simpson. But I did know what his confession was going to be. I knew he was going to say I didn't do it. 
You see, because my brothers and sisters, it's not just OJ. It's not just Casey Anthony. It's all of us. If the infraction is serious enough, if we get caught, and if, if, if what is at stake is big enough, most of us, our first response is going to be, I didn't do it. Oh, what are you talking about? Oh, who did you get that from? Where did you see that? Uh, you, I don't know how you could come to that conclusion. You've never seen me do that before. I don't know. Well, you must be tripping or something. In other words, the first response, if it's a major issue, usually our first response is to deny. Why? Because most of us are totally incapable of facing our mortality, especially the part of our mortality that reveals our weaknesses. But in the kingdom of God, weakness is different than weakness is in the world. You see, we must not be like the world that despises weakness and think that there is no value to weakness. That when you think there's no value to weakness, you have to cover up your weakness. Somebody say amen. But Paul said this. Paul says that, that I will glory in my weakness. He said, why? Because in my weakness, that is God's opportunity to do his greatest work in me. In other words, God does not do his best work in me in the areas of my strength. God does his best work in me in the areas where I have cracks and flaws and I have stains and chips. God, in other words, glorifies himself in my weakness. So Paul said, I will glory in my infirmities, in my weakness, that the power of God might rest upon me. We are called to go the extra mile to rescue a believer, not to bury a believer, but to rescue a believer. When rescued, listen, when rescued from my failures, when somebody checks me and points it out, what I'm rescued from becomes a part of my testimony. My testimony is not just about how God has been good and caused me to triumph. My testimony is also about my failures and how God's grace sustained me in spite of my failures. There's one or two people in here that knows that it's nothing but the grace of God. Yeah, why are you where you are and, and, and why do you still have a smile on your face? Oh, if we just roll back the, the history of your life, there's some junk and some mess in there. But, but, but God's grace is greater than all of my problems, greater than all of my flaws. And the reason I'm able to continue on is because God's grace is powerful in my weaknesses. Now, one-on-one -on -one does not always work. Amen. So if one-on-one -on -one does not work, take another person with you to assist. This is the extra effort to try to turn the behavior around. If poor behavior, listen, if poor behavior is not checked, it becomes destructive. Poor behavior, sin, Doing the wrong thing messes stuff up. Are y'all with me? James chapter 4 verse 17 says this. If you know the right thing to do and don't do it, that for you is sin. To know how to do right, but to choose 
to do evil. Let me just tell you, this is a universal truth, my brothers and sisters. No one is exempt from this. To know what is right but choose to do what is wrong, it will result in pain. It will result in loss and heartbreak and disappointment and broken relationships. Look, sin will cause us or it will result in us losing our families, our jobs. Are you all hearing me? Our friendships. We lose our self-confidence because our self-esteem can be diminished by the poor decisions that we have made in our life. And ultimately, what sin does, it robs us of our fellowship with God. Are you with me? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had a good relationship with someone? Yeah. Have you ever had a good church relationship, a good relationship with somebody in the church? Let me tell you what will kill it. Sin will kill some good relationships. Are y'all feeling me? In other words, what sin will do, sin will take the love that you had for the person and it will turn it into hatred. As much as you used to love to see that person coming, you would hate to hear the sound of their name. Y'all not feeling me, but I know I'm right. Sin, listen, sin will make you judge and it will make you misjudge. You see, many of us, many of us, Many of us, what we do when there's sin in our life, the way we try to hide our sin is to project what is going on in our lives on somebody else. Y'all ever met anybody like that? You might just say, you know, how is everything going? You doing all right? The person will say, why are you asking me if I'm doing all right? Yeah, I'm doing all right. You must not be doing all right. In other words, when there's stuff in our life, that we're trying to hide, we subconsciously then project that on others and make others uh, to seem as if they are just the same as we are. Yeah, yeah. Sin will kill good relationships. Bringing a brother or sister along to help them deal with the sin in their life, the Bible says that's our way of going the extra mile. But be prepared. One-on-one does not always work. Taking two or three people along does not always work. Why? Because sin creates strongholds. Are you with me? Sin creates strongholds. What do we mean? In the Old Testament... A stronghold was a place where the soldiers would hide in order to prevent their enemies from coming in and attacking them and winning. In other words, when you read uh, the, the Old Testament, you read about David running from Saul. He hid in a stronghold so that David could not get to him. Y'all follow me? That's what sin does. You see, sin creates strongholds so that it cannot be detected and it cannot be dealt with. Y'all not feeling me. In other words, when we have sin in our life and we're not living according to what God has called us to live, um, we will, sin will create strongholds where that sin is very difficult to be accessed. We find places and ways to hide so that 
people are incapable of seeing the real us. In other words, we begin to live two, three, four, five, six different lives. Some of us have one face at church. We got one face at home. We got another face for the job. We got another face on vacation. We got another face at the PTA meeting. In other words, we have become so accustomed to faking that nobody recently has seen the real you. As a matter of fact, you lament the fact that nobody really knows who you are. But it cannot be somebody else's fault if somebody does not know the real me because the only way for somebody to know the real me is that I have to reveal the real me to somebody. Am I right about that? And so sin will make you think that other folk not interested in you when the fact is you've been hiding yourself. Hiding the real you. We live multiple lives. One life is the perpetuation of our sin, where we do that in silence and in silent, and we do that in secret. And the other life is our public life, where we perpetrate our innocence. So one life in private, we perpetuate what we're doing in silence and in secrecy. And then we come in public to try to perpetuate our image of our own innocence. And when we are in denial, somebody said, when we're in denial, you are living in the danger zone. See, it's one thing to say, Minister Bobby, it's one thing for me to say, I am an alcoholic. I got me some gin and some vodka in my cabinet right now. As a matter of fact, I just had a drink. I know that I shouldn't be drinking, but I do drink. See, that's one thing. But it's another thing to be walking around, gray goose seeping all out of your pores. Everybody in the room know you've been sipping on the goose. And you got the nerve to say, you know, I haven't had a drink and I got this under control. Listen, that is denial. And the most dangerous thing about sin It's when we act like we don't have any of it. Listen, denial grows to the place where we become open with our sin. The next stage after denial is to come out and don't care. In other other words, we're no longer ashamed of what we do. There is supposed to be associated with sin a sense of shame, a sense of guilt, a sense that I don't feel good about the way I'm rolling through life. They're supposed to be associated with them, uh, a, a negative feeling that says something is wrong with me. Something needs to be fixed in my life. In other words, I'm not supposed to be knee deep in sin and walking around talking about I'm too blessed to be stressed. Everything's cool, homie. No, if my life is knee deep in disobedience, there's supposed to be a sense of shame about how I'm living. But once you have denied for so long, then you become incapable of feeling guilt. What begins to happen? 
you begin to look forward to your sinful activities. You have intricate plans to carry them out. You begin to live outside of the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. So even if the Holy Spirit tried to convict you, he could not convict you because you have already denied that you are in the situation so many times and have convinced yourself that you are doing what you're doing is okay. And then it becomes enjoyable to us. Now check this out. It becomes so enjoyable that we become willing, you got to hear this, to risk everything that is important to us. Yeah, it becomes so enjoyable. We will risk our careers. You've seen it happen. We will risk our family. You've seen it happen. We will risk our integrity and our reputation and our future. But it's one thing that's certain about sin. None of us in here are athletic enough to outrun it. I don't care how fast you are. I don't care how much endurance you have. You cannot outrun the consequences of sin. If you continue doing it, Oh, yeah. You may be able to get away with it one or two times, three times, maybe 10 years, maybe 15 years. But if you keep doing it, it's going, and somebody say, it's going to catch you. It's going to catch you. I remember uh, reading a story about the U.S. Public Health Department and its uh, partnership with Tuskegee Institute back in the 1930s. Through 1932 through 1972, they had a partnership with with, um, Tuskegee Institute to provide medical care for sharecroppers in the Tuskegee area of Alabama. And these men were affected with diseases and the public health, U.S. Public Health Department was telling them that they were treating them um, to cure their diseases when in fact they were not giving them any treatment at all. For 40 years they did wrong. But in 1972 they got caught. You know what the Bible says about that? You slick, you cool, you got away with it, nobody knows about it. You didn't get caught on your job, you didn't get caught at the house. But check it out, it said don't be deceived because you got through. If you keep on doing it, God cannot be mocked. You can trick your spouse, you can trick your children, you can trick your boss, but God cannot be fooled. Whatever a man sows, it's going to come back in our lives. Getting caught can be costly, and it should be, because sometimes the only thing that saves us is getting caught and being confronted in the area of our lifestyle. And, and, and the reason that it's important is because as Christians, we not only hurt ourselves, but we hurt the church. And we hurt the kingdom of God. The church loses its witness when we lose our integrity. And so it says, take someone with you. If one-on-one doesn't work, take someone with you to try to save the relationship. And it's, but that might not work either. Amen. One-on-one might not work. Taking somebody else might not work either. And so what it says, you need to go another step. And so it says, if that doesn't work, then take it. Well, let me give you for your growth, for your worksheet, 
If this sharing is ineffective, arrange a meeting with church leaders. Now, it says in the text, bring them before the church. But it's best to interpret this as the representatives of the church, the leadership body of the church, not just the whole church, because the whole body is not capable of making the appropriate decisions about somebody's life. You see, because the body itself is kind of schizophrenic in how it views people. One person might like you, but the other person does not like you. And the reason the other person may not like you, it has nothing to do with what you did. They don't like the lead, the need, the length of your skirt. Amen. They don't like the car you drive. They don't like your hairstyle. They don't like some. And when you are up there trying to deal with your sin, they're going to judge you based on the fact that your, your skirt has already been too short. You see, skirt ain't got nothing to do with lying. If you're a liar and we're trying to deal with lying, you ought not be judged by the length of your skirt just because your lips cannot sing. Y'all, y'all follow me? In other words, you cannot, in other words, it's not saying let the whole body cast a vote. We've tried that before. We try that. Had women standing up before the church and they having to confess in the eighth month, I'm pregnant. Well, we can tell that you're pregnant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We know you're pregnant. And they have them standing up there by themselves talking out about I'm pregnant. Then somebody give the recommendation that they be sit down for such and such a time. Can't do this for such and such a time. And, and that, that, that sometimes they even are expelled from the church for such and such a time. But the problem with that is that some of us who are making the recommendations uh, have seemed to have a little bit of amnesia if we just turn back your biographical book somewhere in the early chapters is some stuff where you have just lived long enough for folk to forget what you used to do. You see, if you just live long enough, raise your children, ain't nobody asking no questions when they graduated from high school, how they got here. In other words, some of us are not able because we don't remember where we came from. Judgment ought always be rendered with mercy, with compassion, with understanding, and with the hope of restoring somebody, not kicking somebody out. They said, bring them before the church leaders. Now, church leaders, now let me just say this, church leaders that cannot police themselves. The church leaders don't start the policing work by dealing with members. If church leaders cannot police themselves, they will never be able to help members of the church. Church leaders must have backbone. Ministers and deacons and church leaders cannot be perceived as weak on the character issue, weak in the integrity issue, weak in the serving issue, weak in the visibility issue. Listen, if you don't want the responsibilities that come along with being a minister or a deacon or a church leader, what you ought to do is turn your certificate in and go home and play on a Wii where you can pretend that you're playing something. But I want somebody to know that once you declare that I'm a church leader, this is for real. 
real. And so it says, bring them before people who are committed to character and integrity. Now, a church, now, a church ought not only be able to check a pastor. Oh, y'all got quiet on me. Because, you see, if the pastor's sins come out, the church's chest get big. It comes out, we got to deal. We got to deal with this. We got to deal with us leader. Us leader done got out of line. I, I don't know who us leader think he is. We ain't going to have that in our church. We ain't going to let nobody mess our church up. While all the time, the folk you sit next to, the folk you bowl with, the folk that you drink your coffee with, been doing the same stuff that now has become revealed in the life of your shepherd. Church is not supposed to just check pastors. Everybody is expected to live a life of character and integrity. All of us are called to be holy. Why? Because God said this. Look at this. Simple explanation. You be holy. Why, God? Why I got to be holy? Because I am holy. That's it. (laughs) That's all the answer you're going to get. Because I am holy. But God is serious about discipline. Three things that help us, three spiritual activities that enrich relationships as we help people to deal with the sin in life. Three, first, binding and loosing. Verse 18, what you shall bind on earth shall be bound, what? And what you loose on earth shall be loose, what? Now, I want you to understand this verse in the context in which it is spoken about. We have used it wrong. We walk around talking about, I bind Satan in the name of Jesus. I just want to tell you, every time you say that, Satan laughs at you. He's like, what in the world? He's like, here I am. I'm, a, I'm the top angel ever been created. He said, I transcend time and space. I got legions of demons that follow me. And here is a little knucklehead that can't even stop drinking. Got the nerve to talk about they're going to bind me. And no, no, bind. Listen, this is what this means. This word literally means, if you, if you read it in the language, it means to exercise authority. Listen to this. Exercise authority over something, not someone, over something on the basis that it is not legitimate. So you don't need to bind Satan. You need to bind your jealousy. You need to bind your envy. You need to bind your lack of discipline. You need to bind your too much spending, your overeating, your sexual appetites. That's the stuff that this text is talking about. Anything that is illegitimate in my life. We're spending too much time trying to bind other folks when the stuff that's loose is in us. So you bind it because it is prohibited. Anything that is prohibited in your life, you bind it so that it has no power in your life. So that's what you got to do. You got to say, well, this is how binding means. I don't smoke reefer. (laughs) 
in the name of Jesus. I don't. In other words, there are some things that you don't do. Why? Because you are a Christian. I bind it out of my life. Loosing. What is loosing? Loosing is to exercise authority. Somebody say authority. Over something on the basis that it is legitimate. It is permitted and it is allowed. And so what you want to do is bind all of the prohibited things that God has revealed. And you want to loose all the stuff that God has called you to do. And when you begin to loose the right stuff in your life, (laughs) oh, hallelujah, you begin to see a difference in your life. Secondly, you touch and agree. What does that mean? It means to connect with others around the things that are correct. You can't connect with people around the stuff that's wrong because you're going to end up doing it. The interesting thing about saints, saints ain't good with hanging around sinners without becoming like sinners. I'm just telling you the truth. If that person is not converted to Jesus Christ, most likely if that's your top running buddy, you're going to become more like him or her than they are going to become like you. Connect around those things that are correct. In other words, righteousness-based relationships. And then it says, gather in my name. It says, when God is present, we gather in his name. And it says that whatever we ask, he will give it to us. Real quick story, real quick story. And got to close. Have you ever heard that God is angry with us when we sin? He's upset with us. Anybody ever heard that before? God gets upset. Let me see if I can illustrate what this means. He's not upset with the sense he wants to come and knock you out and destroy you and that kind of stuff. That's not it. Yesterday, I had an appointment to go to. My wife and I had talked about it. We, we both were going to the appointment. I was supposed to be in a certain place at a certain time. But I wasn't there. What I did, I went on a bike ride. And I went on, like a, I went on a 40-mile bike ride. I should have gone on like a 20-mile bike ride so I could get back and be in place. But I, now, I didn't tell her this, but I'm, tell you, I'm just going to tell you the other part of it, baby, I didn't tell you yesterday. But in, in, my, in my mind, in my mind, this is where the sin first starts. In my mind, I had convinced myself that I don't have to be at the appointment when it starts. All I got to do is be there before it's over. Amen. Amen. Yeah, be there before it's over. Be in place. Amen. And so when I, what happened, I made my way back home. In other words, she told me, and I saw it on my phone. She had called me several times, but I didn't hear the phone. Called me, didn't hear it. And texted me, I didn't, didn't know it. So I got into our development. Guess who I see coming out? Driving. And I said, oh, she must be on her way to the appointment. She's going to go without me, and I'll just come along. So I pulled up alongside of the car, and I was trying to speak, and, you know, say, hey, baby, how you doing? She just kept going. <laughs> just kept going. Well, I said, you know, at first I thought it was kind of strange because I, I think I still got it. But she said, uh-huh. kept going. And then I said, well, let me hurry up, get to the house. Let me shower, get changed up so I can get to the appointment. Because I thought she was going on to appointment. But she had turned around. And here she was coming back. I'm on the bike. 
she rolled down the window. Now you're in trouble. When that, when that passenger window go down, that window, that window came down, and she said this to me. She said, where have you been? I've been trying to call you. She said, I was, this is what she said. She said, I thought something had happened to you. And she said, I didn't know what, I didn't know what to think. Now listen, when it says God is upset with us, he's not trying to destroy us. In other words, there's a place that God is expecting us to be because there's something that God is expecting to do with us. Are y'all with me? And him doing it with us is going to bring a blessing into our lives. And so when God is there waiting to bless our lives, but we're somewhere in secret doing what we ought not be doing, well, who we ought not be doing with, God gets upset. He gets concerned because he knows that, listen, the last thing you want God to stop doing in your life is to stop talking to you. You know, God, don't give me no more money. Don't give me a new car. Don't give me a promotion, but keep talking to me because if God will speak to you are you with me you want God to keep speaking to you and that's why this lifestyle mandate is so important because it is singularly the one thing that keeps us in a position to hear the voice of God now it does not the one thing that keeps God God blesses you even if you don't if he doesn't speak to you just like sitting at the table, husband is going to work, he's made the money, you bought the grocery, food's cooking, everybody's sitting at the table, nobody talking. You can benefit from everything except intimacy. And that's the one thing you don't want to lose. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. God, we always want to get it right.